Hey everybody, in today's video I'm going to be looking at uh, two different articles from Manly P. Hall that are going to address uh, the relationship between karma and the dynamic of the individual versus the state. So he's particularly going to be addressing topics of um, sort of like state oppression or government oppression and the individual uh, confronting that oppression and dealing with the um, philosophy of karma in this situation. And so this video is highly uh, tied into the sort of some current events because all over the world right now we're seeing um, protests uh, about the vaccine passport issue or just vaccine mandates in general. And so I want to sort of de develop some philosophical ideas about some of the themes that are playing out in each of our lives associated with this issue. Um, so both of these articles are written in a question and answer format. So I'm going to read the question and then go over some of the highlights from Manley Hall's uh, response. So um, in this first article, which is from the 1949 uh, winter issue of the Horizon Journal, um, the question is, In critical periods of history, such as the one we are in now, the average individual has very little to say about prevailing policies, such as these mandates. Regardless of his personal feelings and convictions, he must abide by the will of the majority and suffer the consequences of practices of which he disapproves. How does the law of karma apply in such cases? So let's go uh, into some of the ideas that Manley Hall presents in his, uh, in his answer. So he begins by discussing the idea of law, of universal law. So this is the most uh, universal and encompassing idea that there is in philosophy, the idea of law. Uh, he begins by saying, Universal laws operate throughout the entire cosmic scheme. These laws are not limited to solar systems or even to the galaxies suspended in interstellar space. The philosophic concept of law may be defined as a pattern of inflexible rules operating everywhere and forever. So, in philosophy, God, I think of God... Uh, in the teachings of philosophy having a sort of yin and yang aspect and the yang aspect is the manifest presence of a universal life behind all individual lives but the the yin aspect which is the passive aspect is the law so the yang aspect of god manifests into creation but the yin aspect never manifests but remains eternally still and that's the law so there's the being and then there's the law. This universe unfolds within the rules and according to the rules of law. So the manifestation of the universe is happening as yang and then the law remains eternally still as the yin. Everything in nature moves according to this will and according to this law except for man because karma is created when an action a human action is done outside of the framework of law. And so the consequences of that unlawful action feed back into the individual as karma. So again, these laws are equivalent with the universe itself. And so anything within the universe must, by definition, obey those laws. The, uh, so then he kind of psycho psychoanalyzes a bit like modern psychology. Um, he says, many moderns are becoming acutely neurotic at the thought that they must obey the edicts of the divine will. 
It is frustrating indeed to discover that we cannot do exactly as we please, or often as we please, without a number of exceedingly unpleasant consequences. So again, that's law. I mean, that's karma existing because we are doing what the self wills or what the individual ego wills instead of what the divine will is. So that's our freedom as humans to make that choice, but it is also our um, responsibility to live with the consequences of those choices. And the consequences are ones that are meant to teach us about the wisdom of the law and the ignorance of disobeying that, that wisdom. In, in philosophy, it's all about the law, and it's about discipline to the law. He, he follows with saying, the genus Homo, I mean the Homo sapiens, or humans, spend far too much time in blissful admiration of themselves. Um, and then he says, as industry and economics lock the human being into the narrow confines of a man-made world, the universe ceases to be an equation of consciousness. Heavenly matters lose significance, and we dictate our minds and hearts to the pressing difficulties which we have created for ourselves. Uh, he, he gives a quote, I, don't, I can't remember if it's coming up or if it's in a different article, but he's basically saying, like, when you live in the middle of a city like New York, all you see is man's creation or man-made creations. And so you can easily get trapped and lost in the greatness of these creations that we have made. But the idea that there's a larger... Uh, creative context to this as a universal or divine context is easily lost when we are completely surrounded by our own creation so you can you can lose sight of the fact that there are um, universal powers and forces that are beyond man that move us all it's you know it can be easy to think that we have conquered those things um and he kind of expands on this by writing as the universe recedes from our attention we're de we deprive ourselves of the strength and courage which comes from understanding the larger purpose for which we were created. We grew progressively more confused and uncertain, stumbling about in a darkness that was not in the world, but in ourselves. Um, and this is a, a key point that he's made a lot in his uh, philosophical works is that the sort of blackness that we see in space is not the absence of life or energy but is actually a mirror of our own lack of ability to perceive what is beyond our senses. So the blackness that we see is a reflection of our own inner, um, the, an, an, an inner darkness or a type of ignorance. Continuing, he writes, the more learned we become, the more quickly we overlook the do not know. We become distinguished and loquacious interpreters and commentators, analysts and estimators. So profound are our observations and so elegantly are they expressed that everybody, including ourselves, believes that we actually know something. Um, but he says there's an insidious undertone beneath all this book learning is that uh, we have gradually developed a pronounced superiority complex. We have not only ignored the laws of God and nature, but also have developed considerable immunity to the laws of even our own fellow man. Um, and then uh, this is something I've been dealing with in, in a few videos, this idea of like, of why suffering, why, why, um, why are we born in hard times? What, what are we here for when there's so, so much suffering going on? Um, he writes that folks point out the sorrows and misfortunes which afflict mortals 
and then demand to know why God permits such things. Within the limited scope of our own small sphere, man has a measure of free will. He may choose to keep the faith with a universal plan, or he may temporarily follow his own imperfect instincts. He has the choice, but having chosen, he must abide by the consequences. To cap it, he writes, To the measure or degree that man willfully or through ignorance departs from universal law, he suffers. And this is something that we talked about earlier in the video. But that's the basic ethics and the basic morality and the basic reason that we suffer is because some it's hard to admit, but somewhere we are breaking the law or somewhere in the past in terms of a reincarnation concept, somewhere in the past we have broken the law and the suffering that we have today is a type of karmic manifestation of it. Also keeping in mind that the symptoms that we have of our suffering have meaning and the key to overcoming the suffering is to understanding uh, and coming to a realization of what the underlying meaning is of, of why we have the symptoms, meaning where have we departed from the law in order to put ourselves in a position where we are suffering. So this is like the opposite of a type of victim mindset because you're understanding that there is no victimhood, there is no accidental person who got swept up in something that had nothing to do with once a debt has been incurred it must be paid in other words that's what he writes just as the unpunished and then he again we're talking about suffering and the needy the, the sort of need we have for learn our learning needs require feedback and the feedback comes to us in many circumstances through suffering so again this is this is suffering is an informational vehicle rather than a punishment so the human race if permitted to grow up without discipline will come to a sorry end no one really likes to be reprimanded but if it is necessary the wise accept the punishment with good grace in fact the very discipline itself brings with it a larger understanding and the skill to live better in the future and now we're just going to define karma kind of very specifically here and go more into the details of what what is it what do we mean by karma he writes karma means the law of cause and effect applied to the moral life of the human being karma specifically refers to causes and effects as they are set in motion in the temperament personality disposition and actions of creatures possessing individualized existence um, and then he notes that what sets the, the um, kingdom of man apart from the lower kingdoms of nature is that we have each individual has this individuality um, power. And so the law of karma applies to each of us as individuals. Um, but he's noticed that in the animal kingdom, for example, the karma is held within the species and the individual members of that species do not have the type of individual autonomy that we as human beings do. In the human kingdom, we have to, each of us go from childhood to maturity, and that growth process is the process of gradually overcoming um, ignorance. And as we overcome ignorance, we, um, we do so through trial and error, meaning we, we make mistakes, and those mistakes rebound to, uh, upon us as karma. The power of choice, again quoting, can cause an action for which there is personal responsibility. 
If a creature lacks the power to ob- to disobey, such as the animal kingdom, there can be no virtue in obedience. And this is an important part. There can be no virtue in obedience if you have no choice but to obey. But to choose to obey is where the virtue is earned. So we violate or we create karma for ourselves by violating the law, the divine law, not necessarily human law. Um, And he writes, the law of karma is in no way affected by any attitudes, emotions, or convictions of the individual or the human collective. So it's a divine established principle. We don't establish it. It's established and we are living in the world and are forced to respond to this. Humanity may build creeds which are at variance with truth. I like, I like this section right here. Humanity may build creeds which are at variance with the truth. These creeds may be followed honestly and devotedly by millions of human beings. So even though people may believe this by millions of people, if those creeds teach anything which causes man to depart from the law, then... Even if you believe it to be true, you'll still come to grief. Meaning, even if you believe that that getting a, a vaccine is safe and important for your health, you could be harmed nonetheless by that decision. And the underlying principle being that there is a truth and a law underlying nature, and that no matter what we tell ourselves as we're trying to make sense of the world, the idea of karma is that it will it'll cut through our own mental bullshit by by informing us directly if the if the action we chose was correct or incorrect so if it leads so if the decision actually ends up even though we believe it to be right if it ends in people getting injured or dying or suffering in other circumstances the fact of the death the fact of the injury and the fact of the suffering informed is not the correct belief that we have been in error so even if all human beings together are in perfect agreement about a certain subject their weight would have no effect, whatever, if the, if the conclusions that they came to were actually incorrect. We seem to feel that there is a certain security in common agreement and that we may safely follow where the majority leads, but these are illusions. Solution to the situation lies in discovering the will of the universal plan. Every pattern that exists in human society is actually governed by universal laws. So man doesn't actually govern himself. I mean, he does govern himself in the sense of choosing to follow or not follow, but the laws and the evolution that's propelling us forward is not something that we're actually deciding for ourselves. We're participating in a larger life. We are always held within the universal, and that universal is actually the guiding force just like in your body, you know, a particular uh, cell structure is not actually deciding for itself to do anything. It's being held into place by a larger energetic system. And so it's the same thing with us. We're actually held in place, each of us, into a type of niche by a larger life, a larger universal life. And... Um, and so the solution to our salvation, spiritually, but also from suffering in this um, material world, is to discover that there is a divine plan and to learn the law and obey the law. 
Every pattern that exists in human society is governed by universal laws. When we find out what the law requires and obey it without compromise, then our difficulties will end. How does it happen that man can live in the presence of the divine geometry and fail to see that rules govern everything? Again, this is a type of superiority complex, a type of self-centered egotism, uh, and overall a type of immaturity that we as a human species are going through collectively now. So this this, this immaturity is manifesting within our within our species by through the fact that each of you know each of us, in some level, is ignorant of these larger pro themes and and laws. Uh, that govern the universe, and so the the widespread suffering that we see in the world is a manifestation of that ignorance. Um, and again, just following up on the previous quote about how do we live in the presence of the geometry and not see the that law governs everything, he writes, "How does it happen that we have fashioned the conceit that there are laws governing governing everything else in nature, but us? We alone of all living things have the glorious privilege of self-deception and self-destruction. Man is not the victim of divine displeasure. No deity ever could plague a creation as effectively as human beings have plagued themselves and each other. Each of us is created within this matrix of universal life and, and that matrix is governed by law. And so when we as humans move outside of that framework of law then we move outside of the structure that actually gives us vitality and that's why we injure ourselves and that's why we become sick uh, and that's why we die is because we have moved outside of the context that establishes us within a divine foundation um, he also notes that it's not always immediate how these consequences react back on us uh, all consequences are inherent in their causes, and once a pattern has been set in motion or activated by an impulse of the human will, it must fulfill itself. Sometimes it requires years for patterns to complete themselves, and by that time, the factors have been obscured or forgotten. But So that's, why, that's how we can be surprised by our own suffering and, and, and lose track of the perhaps the underlying causes behind that suffering is because, you know, there's not always, uh, you know, it's not like a, a report that you write and that you, that you get graded in school where you all your mistakes are given transparently to you in red ink. So you know exactly where you went wrong. You have to be thoughtful, um, and you have to be self-aware to really pick up on these signals sometimes. Um, every human personality has its limitations, its peculiarities, and its mental and emotional blind spots. It is not intended that mortals be perfect at this time. As long as imperfections continue to exist, there will be a degree of insecurity in human relations. We destroy, however, the value of experience when we attempt to explain away the causes of our problems. It is true that the human being is not expected or required to solve problems beyond his capacity. That is why the responsibility for the maintenance of the cosmos is not upon his shoulders. Manley Hall writes that each is required by nature to solve those mysteries which pertain to himself and to those with whom he has immediate relationship. So um, I have a few more notes and quotes to go through uh, on this one, and then we'll hop into the next one, which is a little bit shorter. Um, so he continues here, The operations of karma are the basic facts of ethics. 
You're also right that this is why the these teachings should be taught to every child as the basics of a, a sort of moral and ethical program. With the fundamental teaching being that while you know as humans we can learn to deceive other human beings and can benefit maybe from this deception, we can never deceive the universal law which governs man and which governs nature and the whole world. So there's no de deception or fooling these actually larger comic forces, cosmic forces. There's no getting away with anything within a larger uh, sense. Um, but he starts, the operations of karma are the basic facts of ethics. Cause and effect in the sphere of moral life should be as commonly known and acknowledged as the law of gravity and the principles of the Bill of Rights. If the people of the world, especially those in high estate, could come to know and love the doctrines of rebirth and karma, because they go together, these laws would furnish the foundations of a practical religion which could achieve peace on earth and goodwill among men. And I agree with that. Uh, so many spiritual mysteries and so many, so many mysteries of, uh, of living in, in the world today, I think can be made sense of in, in a very profound way by incorporating this idea of reincarnation and karma. Because without them... There just seems like there's just needless, senseless, endless suffering, and what's the meaning and purpose of it all? And it has that has to be a type of ignorance, because again, there is, as he was saying, how can we live in a world in which the facts and the laws of geometry are ubiquitous, but we don't think that the ubiquitous presence of this law has any application to our own moral or ethical lives, or to human society, or to human psychology on the individual level um, it's just not, not a coherent way of thinking that we have in our in our modern world um, he also writes that materialism must fail because it does not defend the inevitability of enlightened ethics unless man believes in powers superior to himself he cannot rescue his own life from the selfishness which dominates his codes of action so again, the idea of participation in a universal is the fundamental theme in philosophy, and it's the thing that's, that d clearly marks the fact that we don't live in a philosophical age or a philosophical society because the, the, the sort of uh, themes of, that are reinforced to us is all about individual autonomy, individual freedom, and the idea that we can do whatever we want, uh, and that's the best thing. Like Freedom is doing whatever you want. He says that this mindset is, is a sort of materialistic approach that must inevitably fail because it sort of promotes all the wrong values and ethics. And so this idea of you participate in a universal that is structured by law is something that must come into our lives as an ethical and moral force. And uh, now we're going to be looking at against suffering and karma he says the law of karma cannot operate against any individual who has not himself broken the rules of the universal plan we are not destroyed or injured or punished along with the guilty simply because we happen to be there at the time we are reprimanded only when we ourselves by our own actions are involved in the guilt and only to the degree that we are so involved so we are so we are reprimanded only when we are guilty, and we're reprimanded only to the degree that we have been at fault. We can only escape from the world by outgrowing the world. 
Death may take man out of the world, but only wisdom can take the world out of the man. As long as the human being is obsessed by worldliness, he will suffer from the karmic consequences of false allegiances. Law cannot punish the lawkeeper, for he is one with the current of life, and there is no inconsistency between his own nature and the plan. So security must be earned. We do not need to abide by the will of the majority except by such natural conformities of appearances as are necessary to maintain the essential structure of human society. It is never necessary for us to accept the illusion of the world even though we must live here and obey certain simple forms and rituals. So in a, in a democracy or a nation, uh, the individual must always adjust himself to the decisions of the majority. And what's interesting is that the decisions that we're responding to now don't even apply because we don't even, they're not even democratic decisions. It's sort of like a technocratic, bureaucratic type of uh, governance model. And so the population is reacting to these non-democratic, supposedly like scientific pronouncements by policymakers and uh, government officials. But nonetheless... It doesn't, you know, just because we're confronted with these forces does not mean that we have to accept inwardly that uh, might makes right, essentially. Um, and then he finally writes that, um, you know, these circumstances, these kind of trying times are, you know, these times of suffering are also the times when heroes are born. And, uh, and, and in other works, he's, he's mentioned, like, gives an example of, like, the Greek state. Uh, and the, the, the age of high philosophy in, in, in Greece coincides at the same time with the period of um, conquest and empire in that larger European region. And it's, a, it's, those con, um, it's, those, it's that context which sets the, the pressure and the need to, that informs and inspires people to be to make those leaps and to be leaders. Um, so again, you know, instead of adopting like a victim mindset, adopt one that's always looking to build constructively with what you're being confronted with. And so he, he uh, kind of finishes this article with, uh, by stating that in all ages, a world dominated by selfishness and ambition has given birth to heroes. Good men do not wait upon good times or they would never come. Strength of character, if it really exists, survives all shocks and grows more rapidly because it must hasten toward the light. To know the law, to love the law, and to keep the law. This is the threefold path of righteousness. Who walks this path dwells in the light, and for him there is no fear. And that uh, finishes uh, this first article. So I really like that one a lot. Um, this one, uh, I'm just going to have a, a few notes I'm going to give off of it. This is also a question and answer uh, format uh, article. This is from the PRS Journal in the summer of 1959. Uh, so this is uh, one I want to read because it addresses some things that I'm seeing uh, again with people who are reacting against these policies and and you see this for a long time my the idea that the within oppressive state 
if we could just move away and start like a utopian commune or something, then we could find a solution through that need. Um, so the basic idea is, you know, abandon ship. And uh, so he says, uh, so this is what this Q&A is about. He says that it seems to me that the search for truth, this is the question. It seems to me that the search for truth is being stifled by an enforced leveling imposed by society. Today, the individual is being sacrificed to the assumed requirements of the group or the collective. Is it possible that a new land, a new area, may appear where a colony of philosophic researchers can escape the contamination of present-day policies? Would not a colony of truly dedicated beings accomplish more uh, than those who are drifting along with present trends uh, directed towards authoritarianism, authoritarianism and materialism? And then finally, the question ends by asking, uh, they ask Manley Hall if he would lead such a colony. And of course, he declines, but let's get into the answer. He says, the history of utopian movements has long, uh, has been long and generally dismal. Most such programs were either frustrated in their beginnings, destroyed by persecution, or short-lived due to lack of internal vitality or public support. Um, so, you know, the, the basic idea of the utopia literature is to be to inspire us towards an idealistic vision. Um, but we have to manifest that within the world. So the world commonwealth being the ultimate goal, the philosophic empire, so to speak. But nothing short of that will last or survive. Um, and elaborating on that, uh, he writes, From experience, it would appear that small groups attempting to isolate themselves are operating contrary to some basic law in nature and therefore do not receive the energy and support needed for successful functioning. We must assume that man is not intended to run away from his own mistakes. We may like to think that these mistakes are due to circumstances beyond our control, but nature, however, desires that man survive all obstacles and use adversity as an inducement to greater personal achievement. Problems challenge us, um, but when we're in the midst of difficulties, we are in the presence of our greatest opportunities. Um, he writes, if the world gets into a desperate situation, enlightened individuals simply become more necessary. Uh, again, this has to do with our idea that heroes and sort of dark times go together. Uh, he says, I think it's an anecdote. I remember one man who retired from the school board because he disapproved of certain of its methods. His place was immediately taken by another man who conformed with the majority. Had the dissenter remained, he might gradually have accomplished something. But by departing, he made doubly certain that the condition to which he objected would not be corrected. And that's an important lesson to learn. And then just to wrap it up, last quote. He says that we, we need not fly into some distant place for lonely contemplation of the mistakes of our fellow men. It is far better to live in the world and to adjust to those things which seem difficult and unreasonable, and to do the work of the world with willing hearts and minds. Um, so again, serve God by serving your fellow man um, is, a, is, a, is a good, just simple template to live by. Um, so that's uh, my episode for today. Uh, I have a lot of these articles uh, that I'm going to do. Um, 
in various themes as we go forward. Uh, I'm going to focus the first batch on some stuff that's most relevant to um, medical science, medical industry, and the sort of zeitgeist that we're in right now and how to navigate it. But I have a lot more coming in various other areas. Um, I'm also working on, I, I just finished my a, a sort of rough draft manuscript of a 30-page study guide um, that is focused around the teachings of the seven ages and the sort of largest concepts of human evolution um, and how uh, man's evolution unfolds within a sort of larger cosmic life. And it gets goes into the largest themes of... Um, human evolution in terms of the seven ages. So it talks about, so the, the title of it is Atlantis and the origins of civilization, but it goes through Mil uh, the Lemurian age and it goes through the Atlantean age. And then it also goes through our current age, which is called the Aryan age, but it doesn't have to do with the Aryan concept of the 20th century that was uh, popularized by the Germans. Um, it has nothing to do with white people. It has everything to do with a modern anatomical human being, and it's not based around skin color. So, so I'm I'm sort of publishing the first version of this as a self-published zine, um, but I would like to do a more formal and more professionally designed version down the road. But um, the information quality is very good, and I would have really died to have a, a guide like this years ago when I was starting out my research because it took me so long to put this whole story together. Um, and even while I was putting it together, there's a lot of information that I learned that I hadn't learned before. Because some of Manley Hall's best stuff, in my opinion, a lot of his best stuff is embedded in these, art, these various journal articles. So I had read all his books and was familiar with a lot of his lectures, but it wasn't until I went deep into the journal archives that I even got more information that uh, is, is a cru crucial part to the story. So um, I'm hoping to have that out by the end of the month uh, available to order i'm not sure how it's how much it's going to be but it's going to be a 30 page uh study guide with lots of pictures and uh sort of formatting it a little bit like a magazine to make it a little more attractive and not so dense like a chapter book and i'm also designing it and publishing it in a large format so it's going to be like a life magazine so it's a really cool thing and i hope you uh you guys will want to check it out to help support the channel um and uh, I have a whole line of those uh, that I'm working on. So hopefully it'll be at least like seven or maybe up to ten of these study guides and various topics. Thanks for tuning in today. And I really appreciate it. And I'll be back soon with more content. So take care.